And once again, this week's show is proudly brought to you by Budgie Smugglers. Yes, Budgie Smugglers, sponsoring Budgie Smugglers Studio here in downtown Batuta. Uh, You know, Budgie Smuggler is one of those industries that, you know, heading into the European summer when we see COVID-19 start to uh, hopefully ease in Europe, they might actually have a bit of success. A lot of companies around uh, Australia are struggling right now, Um, you know, particularly manufacturers that rely on materials from China. Budgie Smuggler is not one of those companies. They're all Australian-made. And in fact, they are an Australian icon. And uh, when we get through these uncertain times ourselves, summer will be one to celebrate. I think now that because we're all going to be working from home, you know, there's going to be a limited amount of opportunities that Australians are going to have to go down to the seaside and have a swim or down to their local pool, river or dam. So while you're walking around the house, don't do it in the nude. Do it in a pair of budgies. Head to www.budgiesmongler.com.au and follow the links. Now let's get on with the show. You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show in these uncertain times. You've obviously been reading a lot about the coronavirus on government websites organizations and uh, departments that are providing information uh, of course the Batuta Advocate is covering it uh, diligently and just yesterday we ran a story about one of the experts we've been going to Dr Norman Swan thank you for joining us today well, I'm honored particularly now that you've nominated me as the nation's daddy my god <laughs> <laughs> daddy daddy Swan uh, yeah, well, at least at least it wasn't granddaddy. My <laughs> God, that would have been something terrible. Yeah. You, you've stepped up. Uh, a lot of people do look for you know expert opinions in times like this. And as we've learned earlier in the week, a lot of media pundits have taken it upon themselves to tell everyone to calm down or that it's not a big deal. What are your thoughts on coronavirus being described as the global warming of health by Alan Jones on 2GB? Well, with all due respect to Alan, you know he he's wrong. You know, this is not a fizzer. Yeah. We, if we're really lucky, it will be a fizzer, but it'll only be a fizzer because you do something. There's no magic fairy here on the graph. The graph in Australia is going up steeply, and there's no magic fairy who's going to climb to the top and by dint of their you know, muscles, going to pull it down, and more magically, this is going to go away. If you look at every other country that's been on this steep graph, you can absolutely predict where we're going. There's a doubling time every four days. It's getting a bit shorter. And you it's year seven maths, and it doesn't take you long to get to very large numbers from very small numbers. So about three weeks ago, this is where Italy was, and this is where we are now. And if nothing happens, then we could end up where Italy is now in three weeks' time. It's absolutely predictable from the rise in the numbers. Unless the unless that graph changes its trajectory. Well, Norman, I'm looking at a graph now. It's a graph of the confirmed cases of it. Uh, it's on a log scale. And you can see on day 27 uh, from the first day that the virus was re- recorded in China, there's a definite flattening that's happening from day 27 to where we are now at day 62. And you can see that being... In in China, and uh, you can see that being replicated in South Korea, Japan, and Singapore. How, Singapore, how, Singapore, in the last few days, I think is is uptaking a bit. So I think yeah. they might be losing a bit of control there. But yep. So, did these countries to flatten their curve? Did they enact, you know, a blanket type of lockdown that we should be seeing worldwide? 
I think the lockdown that you everybody saw with Hubei province um, is not what happened necessarily in other places as well. So it's slightly different, but there, there are commonality. There are common things that happened outside China. So the first thing that happens, and we did it very early, and it's one of the reasons our numbers are so low, is that we were very quick to put in a travel ban to China. <coughs> that was a major source. Pardon me. Ooh. That was a no. It's okay. I don't have COVID nineteen <laughs> not yet. Um, just a tickly throat, <coughs> and that was into my sleep. By the way, um, I that we. Um, well, I, I'm I'm just glad that we're doing this over Skype. <laughs> we're seeing it opposite ends of the you table can, here. You can, nobody told you you can catch this. No. <laughs> um, so the we were quick to put down travel bans. So we reduced imported cases, and we did it with Italy. Iran and uh, South Korea, but we didn't do it with, with America until the last couple of days, and America was a source of importation. So we, so one, we're an island, and we stopped importing cases, or really radically reduced them. That's one reason why our numbers are really quite low. But now you're starting to get spread within the community, and then there was probably a bit of spread from the Diamond Princess people coming into Australia as well, which hasn't quite played out through the system yet either. So the question is, is so what what has happened? in those countries where they had a problem and they seem to have flattened it out. Yep. Well, they are very good at identifying cases. That's the number, that's the first thing. So they are aggressively testing and they test more than we do. And I hesitate to say that we should be testing a lot more because the resources are limited and people are working flat out. But we probably should have earlier on amplified our testing regime because we really don't know how many people are walking around the community with the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and you only know that when you amp up your your uh, your testing regime, and they could say, well, at low numbers, it's going to be very dilute and not very profitable to do that. And there's some truth to that, but the numbers are increasing now, and there could be anything up to 20 times more people in the community with it, particularly younger people who get milder disease, don't know they've got it. Mm. They're half as infectious as others, but because there's more of them. Um, in many parts of the world, 30% of new infections comes from younger people who think they're invinc invincible. They go off and have their cough two parties and <laughs> it, it spreads from there. Yeah, because the current government policy now is is that they, they're only testing people who they know have come into direct contact with someone who has it or yeah, has been overseas. Yeah, there are three or four criteria. That's right. Yep. So have you, have you come back from overseas in the last 14 days? That's going to become less relevant because we're, they're going into immediate isolation or quarantine, I should say. Um, have you come in contact with somebody with COVID-19, no, a known case? Mm -hmm. uh, have you got a pneumonia, which is not explained, regardless of not whether you come in contact or coming overseas? An unexplained pneumonia, that should get tested. And if you're a healthcare worker, a nurse, a doctor, um, a physiotherapist or a dentist or something like that and you've got symptoms respiratory symptoms that look as if they're not going away or they're serious then healthcare workers because they are very um, they're very high risk of mm. this and when the epidemic gets going or uh, in overseas 20% of the healthcare workforce get infected and I got a text yesterday from a, a junior doctor in an emergency department in London where two ENT consultants are in intensive care on heart lung bypass because they've got coronavirus. And I can assure you they're not, they're not 70 years old with nah. heart disease. So, yeah, so once the numbers go up, 
you get more young people coming into intensive care. Anything up to about 40% of, of the intensive care beds are taken up by people who are younger than 60. And it means that eventually, so it's not that you're uh, steel, steel belted with, um, if you're younger, you, you know, there are younger people getting serious illness and there's no way of predicting whether or not you're going to get it. So it's more likely the older you get, but it doesn't, it doesn't give you a leave pass. So what they're doing is case finding very yep. aggressively. And then they're aggressively looking for the contacts of those people. Um, so that anybody to come in contact with last 48 hours or so, they're using CCTV, they're using spatial facilities on your on your smartphone they're doing stuff that we would find a bit intrusive in australia but that's the extent to, to which they're going if you're on isolate in quarantine your phone will register where you are and if you move out of the house your phone pings you and tells you to go back home yep. all that sort of thing is happening quite aggressive and then the other thing that school closure is mixed some do it some don't um, and I'll come back to that in a minute. And the other thing that they're doing is social distancing, which is really spatial distancing, keeping away from other people. And that's the only thing that really works. In, in association with case finding, the, the thing that really switches, turns this curve over is major social distancing. And where you're not mixing with other people very much at all unless you have to. So it's not a full lockdown like you see in Italy or in China. It doesn't have to be that tough. It, you know, you can still go to the shops if you have to go to work and so on, but really no weddings. No, that, that's not where we are yet yeah. in Australia, but that's the sort of toughness. You know, in some countries, it's nobody, no, nobody, no gatherings over five people. You can't go to a pub or a bar on a Friday night. So that, that's what they do. And then they do it in a highly disciplined way. They've managed to actually bend the curve and get it done early kind of i wouldn't say it's misinformation but early numbers created a bit of misinformation uh, around the world in that this only affects old people you've just pointed out that there's a lot of young people that are now in beds what what other conditions would would a you know an everyday person be exposed to that might not work well with coronavirus i mean other, other than obviously um being of a certain age what what else doesn't work alongside it? you you yourself have convinced me to give up the cigarettes i'm on the nicobate patches as we speak so oh, that's good um, so smoking increases the receptors in the lung into which the to which the uh, virus binds. Yep. So more receptors, the more chance you can have of getting infected in the first place. Smoking uh, strips off the lining of your lung to an extent and knackers the immune system a bit in terms of actually the defense against the virus. Smoking is not good. If you've got asthma and it's not well controlled, if you're sucking on the blue puffer, the ventilant puffer too much, you know, two or three times a day, you need to be on a preventer medication and really get your, use this moment. You know, one in five people listening to us chatting have got asthma. They probably think they're really good. They accept a bit of coughing during the night and a bit of coughing before they go in their morning run. That's unacceptable. You've got to get your asthma really in good shape because you don't want a bad asthma attack. Yeah. And, and the other thing is you've got to protect yourself against influenza. So when the new vaccine comes out, everybody should be immunized because you don't want to get that at the same time. And you don't want to get it at all because it means you, you could mean that you end up in the emergency department, clogging up the emergency department when there are people sicker than you who need to be looked after. Um, and so those are the sorts of things there. Uh, if you've got diabetes, you, you want to get, you know, most people who are younger have type 1 diabetes, which is insulin. You really want to get that under good control. Basically, if you get any other problem, you want to get it under, this is the time to get it under good control so you're in as good a shape as you possibly can be. And just to clarify the, the statistic you talked about a minute ago, it's everybody can catch this virus. 
it, it's just that different people, you know, different age groups seem to have different degrees of infectivity. So younger people tend to get milder disease. So the more severe the disease you get, the more infectious you are. Yeah. But remember, you're infectious up to two days or so before the symptoms come out, but you don't know when the symptoms are going to come out. That's the problem. And on average, it's five days incubation, but sometimes it can be 14 days or even longer than that. So everybody can catch it. It's just that when you're younger, you're not quite as infectious as older people because it's milder. But because of the numbers of young people who get it, they're a, real, a really significant source of it. And then a percentage of them will get sick um, and need intensive care, and particularly young babies. So babies under 12 months of age are particularly susceptible to this coronavirus. And uh, what you need is, you know, a, a, a lot of us will have to be changing our behavior to do things like protect young babies. Nobody wants to see a young baby suffer, but just mm. inadvertently, if you're careless about this and think, I'm, I'm not going to get seriously ill, well, A, you might get seriously ill, and B, you may pass it on to somebody and, um, and you'll never know, but you know, a little baby suffered because you've, you've been a bit careless. So this is now the third in what you could say a trilogy of human coronaviruses that um, has been kind of set loose upon the planet the last 20 or so years. How does this latest COVID-19 coronavirus, is it any biologically different to say the SARS or the MERS coronavirus? Yeah, no, it is different. It's part of the same family, but it, it is different. The reason it's called SARS-CoV-2 and the first one's now called SARS-1, uh, is that it's, it is closely related to that SARS, but it's a different virus. So with SARS, the original SARS, it was highly infectious, just like this one, but it was only infectious after symptoms came out. So it was relatively easy to control because you knew exactly who in the community was infectious, and therefore you know, that, that was a sign. So if, if you didn't have symptoms, you didn't need to worry, soon as the symptoms came out then you jumped then you jumped on it that became became very easy to control and but it had a higher death rate so the case fatality rate sorry to be technical but that's the number of the proportion of people who die relative to the yep. people who've got the infection was nine percent with SARS um, and um, so that was SARS MERS is the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome that was spread from bats to so the SARS was spread SARS 1 was spread from probably from bats to civet cats and then into the human population. Yep. MERS, the Middle East one, seems to be bats to camels to the human population. The Hajj was a source of this. And it's a really nasty disease. Yep. Um, it's got 30% mortality, but not very infectious at all. So it, since it was recognized a few years ago, I think 3,000 people have been infected. A third of them have died. But it, you know, thankfully, it wasn't very infectious. So it's still going, but it's it's not there. So this one, it's very infectious. You infect each person infects two or three people if you don't control it, and it's got the mortality, the case fatality rate's been moving around a lot, um, and it depends on a lot of factors. Average is probably three percent. A couple of weeks ago, I was saying one percent, but I, I think it's it's it's, it's landing on around about three percent. Italy maybe around six percent, but that's probably because they've got a lot of a lot more elderly people in Italy yeah. than they do here. Um, so it's and that's thirty times three percent, thirty times the death rate of um, everyday flu, seasonal flu. Yep. And um, what are something that you know the Australians who are living in a regional community, the, because 
we've heard from the Northern Territory government that they are considering closing down the state, much the same as the Tasmanians have. What are some tips for regional Australians to really try to limit their exposure to this big virus that's taking over the cities? Yeah, I mean, just to be clear, I don't think it's taking over the cities yet, but it will if we don't do more than we're doing now. Sure. Or yep. or, or, making, or seeing if we're doing now and bends the curve, and if it doesn't, then we're going to have to jump in and jump in early. So in terms of regional Australia, there's two aspects to that. One is Aboriginal communities. Um, Aboriginal communities are going to be very vulnerable to this virus because um, we've neglected the housing of in the Aboriginal communities and people live in overcrowded circumstances, poorly maintained. It's not their fault. The houses have not been well built and investment has not been made in maintaining them. Um, no fault of the people there. It's just they're living in crap houses yeah. that fall apart. And Aboriginal communities are highly at risk. So what they're doing in Aboriginal communities that are remote and well-defined, stopping new people coming into those so they've ring-fenced those communities and trying to stop people coming in because they're they're like a microcosm of the nation. If you stop people coming in, then you limit the chances of the virus hitting those communities. And that's part, I think, of what the Northern Territory is talking about is there's a large Indigenous community or Indigenous communities, both Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islanders, and um, isolation of the communities um, will help to limit the spread of the SARS-CoV-2. Um, and that will be very dominant in their minds. In regional communities, it's actually not, in, in regional cities, for example, or regional towns, uh, country towns, then it's not very different from cities. It's the stuff you've heard about, hand hygiene, don't touch your face. You really don't mix with other people. And this is different yeah. from what the government's saying, but you know, essentially it's common sense. Yeah. It's that um, it's don't mix with other people unless you have to and avoid places where people congregate. Because the more you do that, the more the higher the chances that you're going to catch it. And it won't take long in a country town for a couple of people to arrive with it and it runs right through the town. Mm-hmm. And you get a real cluster, which is, you know, and you had a bit of a cluster in New South Wales, I think in, in Epping and northwest Sydney. And it, it just doesn't take much for this to, if you're not vigilant, to spread. And, and what you're asking people to do, and it's a tough ask, and it's a really tough ask, is change your individual behavior and your family's behavior to protect the community at large. So at this moment in Australia, the risk to us as individuals is low. Not much of it around yet, but it's going up fast and it won't take long for there to be quite a lot of it around. But really changing our behavior to protect everybody. It's like, you know, people don't realize if you wear a seatbelt, the statistics are, you've got to wear, last time I looked, you've got to wear a seatbelt for 45 people, have got to wear a seatbelt on every car journey for 45 years for one person's life to be saved. So in reality, wearing a seatbelt is, is a bit like this. You're changing your behavior to stop a lot of um, injuries in the community, but you know the likelihood that you're going to need a seatbelt at any one time is low, but over the community it's high. So it's a population thing. Um, similarly with uh, immunization one of the reasons we get immunized is to protect the whole community and to protect little babies and now we're being asked to change our behavior to protect the community at large and you can say well screw that I'm you know I'm going to go to the have a pool party (laughs) and uh, you know whatever else you might do at a pool party and you know and I want to get it because I'm going to you know getting it get this over with quickly 
And you can understand why people might think that, and I'm going to be okay, yeah. but some of you will not be okay, and you'll pass it on to the others, and you'll be a source of this virus to the rest of the community. So this is really, really hard stuff. And the government's going a bit soft at the moment because they just wanted to see whether they can bend the curve without doing too much that's drastic. But the signs are not good at the moment that they're actually getting traction and they're going to have to put the foot on the pedal more strongly. But what everybody's worried about is how long you've got to have your foot on the brake. So you, you started off here talking about the Chinese curves. Yeah. So the Chinese are now taking the foot off the brake. Yep. Is it going to come back? Because only about 1% of the Chinese population have had SARS-CoV-2. Yeah. And um, if you take the foot off the brake, and what they found in, two th in 1918 in the flu Spanish flu epidemic is that some cities like Denver, St. Louis, took the foot off the brake too soon, and it came back with a vengeance. And the problem in China at the moment is they're just throwing out a whole heap of American journalists who've been reporting on this, and I'm personally not confident that their numbers are real. Okay. So will we know if it comes back? I'm not sure we will. Can you can you just tell us now? We uh, according to the government website health.gov.au for the listeners, uh, we currently have seven hundred and nine confirmed cases. I don't know; these numbers could change every minute. What would you say? And I and this is without trying to be alarmist, but just to give everyone a bit of preparation. What number do you think in confirmed cases until we start looking at um, a little bit more of a kind of a Italy kind of uh, Italy Spain scenario? Well, there are several ways of looking at that, and I don't think there is a single number that says that's the trigger for closing schools and that we, you know, we don't go out of the house unless we've got to shop for food. I think that knowing what that number is, the sooner you do it, probably the better, so that you're, so it hasn't run away from us. Because the stories from Britain at the moment are, are horrendous. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's just be clear what we're, what we're doing here. Uh, before I get, I'm not sidestepping, I will come back to your question. But let's just be clear what we're doing. The, the mathematical modelling that came out earlier this week from Imperial College London was into deaths and intensive care unit beds. And what they showed was that um, very soon, by the 2nd of April, the, the ICU beds in Britain will be totally overwhelmed. And you're already getting reports from Britain. I got a text from a doctor in an emergency department in a British hospital yesterday and it's heartbreaking you know they're being t it's, it's like you know I'm, I'm, I'm being accused by the way of being a Jeremiah and being over the top and so on but but the description you get from the front line there and in Italy it's like the Somme in the First World War yep. you know you're, you're in the trench and your lieutenant blows the whistle and you're over the top to be mown down by German machine guns yep. so they're being sent into battle with loosely, loosely fitting masks, apr little plastic aprons instead of protective gear, and you know, 20% are going to get infected. Two of their consultants are in intensive care on heart-lung bypass, and you know, this, that's just one hospital. Um, and it's you know, and you're getting stories like that from more and more hospitals, and more and more, and you and and the the discomfort that intensive care specialists have got is who gets treated and who doesn't. And you know, I'm making very tough decisions about who you treat and who you don't, and and healthcare workers at the highest risk. So in fact, we're actually, if we let this go, well, and I'm, I, how do I say it that any in in a soft way, I'll let I'll say it in a hard way, we'll kill doctors and nurses and dentists, yeah, um, because we'll be releasing this virus into the community. They're the front line. They put themselves in harm's way to keep us out of harm's way. But th they will catch this disease and they'll get a big dose of it and they'll get it more severely. And they're out there, they're, they're turning up to work, they've got kids at home, 
I interviewed like on my health report program on RN an intensive care specialist from Queensland who talked about how the fact that that afternoon it was last Sunday I interviewed him that afternoon he was having a conversation with these teenage kids about what would happen if he died at work that's the conversation he had yeah, yeah. Um, so we're protecting our healthcare workers in our hospitals so that they're to treat us when we get sick not just with coronavirus you get sick you've had a car accident what have you we won't have the beds if we let this go so coming back to your question, long long answer, I apologize for it's that. Okay. So, so at what point do you decide it? It's about, the, it's about the doubling time and whether you're seeing the effect. So the numbers today, that's 700 today, reflects what was happening in Australia two weeks ago. Okay. Not yesterday, not two weeks ago. And the actions that, the, the, you know, what the government did during the week was just tap the brake pedal a little bit. Not a lot, just a little bit. I mean, it's... 100, 500, these are arbitrary numbers. So just tap the, the brake a little bit. But you won't see the effect of that for two weeks. And in two weeks' time, it'll be too late because two weeks means we're, we're about 12 to 20 days behind Italy at the moment. So in two weeks' time, we'll be very close to where Italy is today, uh, you're on this date because of the doubling time. Um, so that's, so that's, that's the problem. And so anything you do today to put your foot on the pedal, you are not going to see the effects of that on the curve for between five and 10 days. So it's not press the button and everything happens now. You press mm. the button and it happens in five to 10 days time. So you actually have to act earlier rather than later. So do you act when there's 700 or do you act when there's 3000? And when you act when there's 3000, you're actually not going to see an effect until you've, you're maybe at tw 15 or 20,000 because it's going to keep on doubling because the effect, you, you've already got people spreading it on the day that you put the brake foot on the brake. And therefore, there's no right answer to this one. A lot of people feel that you should get in earlier, but what that, but this isn't for three weeks. This could be for months. Yep. And you're asking people to... St so I, I sit, I've got huge sympathy with the government on this. Bloody difficult decisions. But the right time in getting this in, it, it's getting very close in my view. It's probably you know early next week sometime because I don't think you will see the effect on the, on the curve. And you'll never know. What, what, what some official said in the World Health Organization last week was, get in early, get in aggressively, no regrets, just do it, hmm. and you know, and apologise later. As in, as in, you think it, it it's better to look uh, alarmist in hindsight than it is to look underprepared. That's right. Yeah. I'll, I'll be delighted if Alan Jones calls me this stupid prick, uh, you know, in three weeks' time. Hmm. Great, but you know, <laughs> you know, if you'd asked a climate change scientist this time last year, who was predicting we would have bad bushfires, yeah. they would have all said to a person, "Prove me wrong. I would love to be wrong." Yeah. You know, and and they were devastated when they were proved right. There was no pleasure in it at all. You, you know, let it be a fizzer. Yeah. Just let this be a fizzer. It'll be fantastic. And then the question is, what you do? When do you lift, lift, lift your foot off the brake? What you might be able to do after a, a month or two is you might be able to lift your foot off the brake for a couple of weeks yeah. and just see whether you get an uptake. And if you don't, well, if you don't get an uptake, then keep your foot off the brake. Yeah. And if you do, put it back on the brake. Um, and we might be lucky. This is a seasonal virus, and it disappears in the northern hemisphere quite quickly in the northern summer. We don't know that yet, and it will disappear as it warms up in Australia as the year goes by. We don't know that yet.
One more question before we let you go, because we, we know you'd be under the pump right now. Uh, for, for anyone listening, you can hear a lot more of this on CoronaCast with uh, Dr. Norman Swan for, for all your updates. And I know a lot of people have a lot of questions. I'm sure a, a lot of them could be answered across that. But we don't want you to play Jeremiah uh, as such, but what do you think has been the most re- reckless public directive since we started seeing, uh, you know, si- since the Diamond Princess? Um well, I don't think the Diamond Princess was reckless. I mean, uh, you know, cruise ships are, I mean, are, are you know, are, are yeah. an, incub- an incubation thing for all sorts of viruses. They make, they make even less sense now, don't they? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, just watch them going by, you know, like, <laughs> the look of them, don't go on. Um, I think that what, if I can reflect what the public is saying via Coronacast, I mean, the Coronacast has just gone completely nuts. Mm. And what they're saying is, they were getting mixed messages. They didn't understand what it was. They felt, and I think the, the 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 dominant mode of the messaging from government was they were terrified of panicking the population. Yeah. So it was like public relations valium, and you know they're there, but it came over as patronising. They're there, Sonny. It will be all right. You just trust us to make this. That's not that's not what they were saying, but it was kind of the way people took it. And as soon as you say they're there, don't panic. Everybody panics, mm-hmm. a- and then there was mixed messages. I think last week was the nadir of the communication stuff. So you had um, the Prime Minister tripling down on going to the football Mm -hmm. on Saturday night and saying that he was getting medical advice to that effect and then not cancelling the Grand Prix until the last minute. So there wouldn't have been a public health official or an epidemiologist in Australia or an infectious disease specialist, there wouldn't have been a single one in Australia who thought it was a good idea for 40,000 people to get together at the ANZ Stadium or 14,000 to go to the basketball in Western Australia on Friday night, uh, last Friday night, or a quarter of a million turning up at the Grand Prix. And for, for several reasons. One is, even though there's not much in the community, in 40,000 people, there's going to be two or three probably with uh, COVID-19, COVID-19. And then they're going to spread it. And then, as I said, right at the beginning of this discussion, contact tracing is an essential part of controlling it. You yeah. can't contract t- trace when you caught it at the basketball with 14,000 other people. <laughs> or, f- or a sold-out <laughs> Bankwest Stadium on Friday night. Parramatta and Correct. Bulldogs. <laughs> God <laughs> damn it. I know. That's right. So you just can't do that. Now, a quarter of a million, many of whom have come in from overseas. And so you just can't do that. And so people were saying, look, I've been told for two weeks now, I've got to wash my hands every day. I've got to you know, stay at home if I can. Don't work from, you know, work from home if you possibly can. My business is doing that. We're doing all this. And then the prime minister is saying he's going to the footy. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. And then, then you've got the, you know, Peter Dutton arriving from America with the virus because it's gone mad in the United States and they haven't been testing and they're, so, they're going to be like Italy and he arrives with with it and goes to the cabinet meeting and the world health organization says it's 48 hours you've got to be aware of and he comes down with his symptoms on thursday which is within that 48 hour period and you don't see our leaders behaving the way we're asking individuals so and individuals are coming in contact with people covered 19 they're being sent home to be on on quarantine and then they don't see that happening to cabinet it might not have had to happen to the whole cabinet but maybe the people sitting on either side of peter dutton it should have happened too <laughs> um but peter dutton did the right thing you know he went into isolation he was the same as tom hanks and his wife yeah but the you know so he did the right thing but the the, the quarantining didn't and so people were really confused really mixed messaging and i think that was a bit of a crisis and this week it seems to have settled down to much more straightforward communication yeah 
Um, but it took that to happen. Last week was a shit show. Had to, had to break a few hearts. Now, we'll, we'll let you go now, uh, uh, Dr. Swan, Norman. Uh, thank you for joining us. But just one last question. Is it all going to be okay? <laughs> um, I think it will be okay if... Um, so it depends what okay means. I think if we really you know, pull together as a community, I think it will be okay. The question is how hard we have to pull together. And it may be for quite a while, and the economy will suffer, and people will lose money, and people will lose their jobs. It's, it's not going to be a good time. Um, but I actually think some wonderful things will happen during this year. Communities will pull together. People will help each other. We'll find new ways of working. Hopefully, the government will invest in innovation through this with new technologies and other things where we allow people to do exciting new stuff to help control the epidemic or entertainment there's lots of opportunity in this environment so yes we will and if we get that curve right down um, we'll minimize the number of people who physically suffer through this and when a vaccine comes out we'll come out the other side and we may come out the other side sooner if it's a seasonal virus so I'm quietly confident I'm confident that Australians of all ages will pull together. So let's just uh, let's just aim for uh, carols by candlelight. We'll be able to hang out with each other by then. I think so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you for joining us, Dr. And Swan. I, thank you very much. I look forward. To, I look forward to a future where experts are being listened to. Yeah, and you don't need a Corona cast. That would be a really good place to be where you don't need a Corona cast. All right. All right. Thank, thank you. Mate. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.